as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Uh, Davis Rankin, oh. would you be so kind as to introduce our next guest? It will be a, be a pleasure. You know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the football game because the McAllen International Airport is the official South Texas airport for the Dallas Cowboys. And when they made that announcement, they had these two, I don't remember their names, but I'd forgotten how large <laughs> pro football players are. They're huge. So uh, Liz Suarez is the um, manager, uh, the uh, person in charge at McAllen International Airport. And uh, Liz, how long have you been there? You've been you've been there for, what, 10 years? Yes, I've been at the airport since 2013. And uh, time flies when you're having fun. That's for sure. <laughs> we want to get to holiday, you know, something like holiday tips. But before we do that, the last time I was at the airport was not for a trip, but for the unveiling of your yearly um, Dia de los Muertos altar that you put up. Uh, which I didn't know was every year, but it's very colorful. And tell us about that. Is it still up? Yeah, well, actually, it came down uh, earlier today. I okay. was really proud as an airport to connect people to important destinations. But for us, it's really a passion um, to connect, not just because it's a business destination or a tourism destination, but for the richness of the culture that we celebrate as Hispanics. Yeah. Um, we're really proud of our traditions and we're very grateful to work in a city and in a community where um, that pride uh, and that expression of culture and heritage is welcomed and celebrated. It was a great event for us. That event has really evolved. It was an idea that mm-hmm. started with the Mexican Consul's office, and we've been okay. able to partner with Idomad Airline, who's the only airline that connects anybody in the RGV and in South Texas with nonstop flights into Mexico City, Guadalajara and into Monterrey. And our goal as an airport is to really give people a little bit of a taste of what they can see for themselves if they Mm -hmm. participate in those great events that take place every year. Um, Again, through the uh, end of October, through the first week of November, visiting Mexico City is a great experience to visit some of this culture and receive some of this. uh, It's just an amazing event and an amazing cultural expression. So uh, the um, uh, speaking of um, I don't know the culture or whatever, uh, are you all do you all do anything uh, special other than decorating uh, at the airport for busy holiday travel? Because um, it, it's it's here now. Do, do you all do anything yeah. special? Well, we've been actually we've been partnering very closely with TSA. The biggest challenge during the holiday season is people not really understanding what they can and cannot take through. I mean, we've seen everything from uh, people visiting family with, you know, the fancy Lennox uh, 
globe, snow globe that they're going to give to a family member. They spend a lot of money on it. They find out that that gel doesn't go through TSA. And so here we are, you know, stuck that feeling of frustration. Um, It's for us an opportunity to really partner with those agencies to make sure that our community knows uh, what they can and cannot take through TSA. We had a great press event uh, that TSA held here at this airport last week. Uh, They gave the media one-on-one tours Uh um, to better explain to our community what it is that they do, why it's important to follow the regulations, and to show them how they can look for those rules really easy with a Twitter handle, um, uh, finding what you can take through TSAs, such simple things that we can take, uh, small steps to make the travel season a little bit less hectic. And really, that's the best that we can do as an airport to continue to encourage people that uh, as they travel, that they're very aware that there is more traffic Mm -hmm. than usual. Even though we live in a small city, um, we still recommend that you get here at least an hour before if you can a little bit more better. The reason for that is each airline has different dynamics and different regulations. Just to give you an idea, there are some airlines that at 45 minutes before the gate opens for boarding, the system shuts down. So there's nothing that that uh, agent can do in terms of checking you in or checking your bags in. So it's really important that our customers understand. And I think the safe rule is an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half before your gate uh, uh, boarding time. Uh, Even in McAllen. In McAllen and in any airport. And if you're going to a bigger city or if you're connecting back to McAllen through a big hub, give yeah. that maybe even a little bit more time during the holiday uh, period. Ah. And if you don't have your TSA pre-check, it's not too late to try and get it out. Uh, go online. That is going to facilitate your travel and expedite that screening process for you. All okay. of these are important tips to remember. If you are flying internationally, that's two hours that you need to arrive, and only because there's a whole other set of regulations that they have to follow. And so a lot of the times we just ask people to be prepared, to come with a lot of patience, and to give themselves plenty of time. We should be booking sooner than later, shouldn't we? Uh, Liz Suarez is the director at McAllen Airport, our guest in your 956 drive home. As far as bookings go, um, when is the real heavy season and when does it end yeah, into the next year? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're right into the heavy season. Um, that week before Thanksgiving, that Monday, that's going to be that whole weekend prior to through Monday, one of the busiest times to travel. And then um, that goes through December the 6th, the 7th, um, that, that first weekend of December after the New Year's holiday. And really, if you're looking for deals, it's just such a tough time to travel right now. We've heard the stories, pilot shortage, high fuel uh, charges uh, or fees or costs, excuse me. Um, And so it is more expensive to fly. You want to give yourself at least 30 days out to get the best fare that you can possible. And definitely sign up for the different airline um, newsletters or blogs because any promotions that they offer, um, sometimes through those email listings, you're able to get those, you know, cheap fares. For instance, uh, Allegiance right now promoting a $49 uh, single trip fare to or one-way trip fare to Nashville. Nashville starts in February. 
um, and it goes through May. It's a seasonal route that we offer, but that's a great time to go explore Nashville. Why not? So if you're on that email list, you're going to get firsthand um, notification of those offers. And I think it's important that people follow that. Um, and not just email, but you can download the app. And on the app, you can follow those specials and promotions. All of the airlines have them. Um, it does get a little pricey during the holiday season. So why not take advantage of some of those yeah. uh, specials? Yep. Well, well th- um, thank you for that helpful information. It. For more information about uh, things and ongoings at McAllen Airport, where can people go? You know, we have a really active social media um, account, uh, either on Instagram, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Those are the easiest, fastest ways to track us. Our website is actively updated as well, so take a look at that. But we are here to serve our community. We're available 24 hours a day. The airport never closes. Any challenge that you feel, even though we're an intermediary, because we're not the actual airline, but we do try our best to make sure we connect you to the people you need to connect with too. If a bag is lost or you're having difficulty understanding one of the rules or you're not sure about the documents that you need to travel, you're traveling with a minor, what do they need? Just don't hesitate to call us. Our number is 956-681-1500. And there is somebody 24 hours a day available in English or Spanish to take your call and to try we do want to try our best to make sure you have a great travel experience this holiday season. Thanks a lot for stopping by and uh, sharing that information with us. That's Director Liz Suarez at McAllen International Airport joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Uh, joining us on 710 KURV to talk about the state of diesel and that windfall tax we've been hearing about from Tony Gonzalez out in the Permian Basin area is Tim Snyder from Matador Economics joining us on your 956 drive home. So let's start with uh, the windfall tax and then we'll transition into the, the diesel thing. Uh, so what what is this windfall tax that we keep hearing about? You know, you got when I tell you the last time we did this, you're going to understand completely why this was brought up by the Democrats. But the last time we did a windfall or tried to do a windfall profits tax was in 1979 under Jimmy Carter. Now, but what what is what the they, function? What, what does the, it do? I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. You were probably about to explain that. But what what is a windfall tax and what does it do? A windfall profit tax, by definition is a tax on profits that are earned uh, or that are gained but not earned. In other words, economic activity by the corporation didn't uh, create the 
economic activity economic activity that the corporation didn't create the profits a change in a market condition changed the profits and so the government decided in a really stupid decision 40 years ago that they would they would tax primarily the big oil companies and those those kinds of organizations uh, for any revenues that they generated that were outside of general business that they do okay in other words they had to create the business to gain the profit from it if you if you gain business or you gain profitability from a market change because of for instance vladimir putin invading the ukraine or mm. or whatever the happen happen you know situation happens to be <clears throat> then the government will tax you on it it was a punitive tax it's a punishment tax um, it's the government saying, well, you weren't going to earn those um, profits anyway. You only earned them because something else happened external to your act- mm-hmm. normal activities. Um, it was a bad idea. It got absolutely horrible press back then. But remember who was advising Jimmy Carter in 1979? Joe Biden. <laughs> no way. No. No way. Brother, I have the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because it's sad. Uh, we're joined by Tim Snyder from uh, Matador Economics. We're talking. To, we're, we're having an oil and gas update right now on your 956. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, I do believe it. Joe Biden advising Jimmy Carter on that. That's That's fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, that, and plain and simply, that's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's taken from the concept of you can go pick an apple and, you, and sell the apple and you get all 25 cents from selling the apple. But if the apple falls from the tree and you didn't pick it, you can sell it for 25, but you got to give the government 10 cents of that 25. That's where it comes Whoa. from. Wow. Uh, I... Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have a, a whole lot of time to expand on this, but I have enough to talk about the, the state of diesel right now. Uh, what, what can you yes. tell us? The situation with diesel is that we have, um, you know, over the last two years, we've lost a number of refineries, and two of them have never come back. One was in, uh, I believe it was in Pennsylvania. It was subject to a fire. Then we had one in Canada that was providing uh, diesel fuel to the northeastern part of the United States. Both of them went down. One went down. The one in Canada went down because of COVID, and it never came back. But um, the restrictions by the federal government, the EPA, the financing restrictions that were put on by the Treasury Department and Janet Yellen and all the things that they've done over the last year and a half have become so restrictive that nobody can afford to go get the financing to either repair uh, replace or build a whole brand new uh, diesel refinery. Diesel is a very high, they use very high temperatures to refine diesel, okay, to distill diesel. It's a, it's a distillate. Um, and it's not the same process as gasoline. It's a completely different process. Not only are the chemicals different, the physical properties are different. So there's not enough diesel. And remember, an ex- reopening for expanding economic engine like we're having after for post-COVID 
will create a greater demand for diesel because diesel is the fuel of business. I I don't like the sound of that. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound very good for the future is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, no, it is. And, and I'll tell you this, when Joe Biden took office, guys, um, there was, we averaged about 53 days uh, of supply in, excuse me, sorry about that. Uh, we had about 53 days of supply in our normal inventory system. Today, that number's 26. So half. So what, so what happens? I mean, when that number hits zero, so sure. what do we do? Two things we're doing. One is we're increasing the amount of, of imported diesel fuel into the United States. We've had to do that because of this. Remember, we're now also cre- uh, we're also competing with the EU because uh, effective Jan- uh, December the 10th, I believe it is, is when the sanctions on Russia go into effect in the EU. EU so everybody's going to be going after the other barrels of diesel fuel that's out there. So that will make the price go up. We've got to have, we needed to have the red wave so we could at least start to uh, maybe uh, e- either build new refineries or repair the ones that we have that are in so so desperate need of repair. Um, that didn't happen. So we're looking at higher fuel costs next year. And there are no conditions that have changed, guys, uh, from uh, the administration standpoint that would give us any reason to think that this coming year is going to be a better year price-wise. It's just not going to happen. Well, I guess one good thing to draw from the midterm results is that he's now he's got to own it, right? Now he can't, he can't pass it on to the red wave and be like, okay, well, it's their problem now. Any problems that come up, it's theirs to own. Hey, thanks a lot. As usual, Tim Snyder from Matador Economics joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. This is the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's been a long journey since Winter Storm Uri came across Texas and shut off the power. There's been a lot of solutions and anti-solutions and suggestions and just lots of discussion over the power grid across the great state of Texas and whether that power grid can be great as well. Joining us on 710KURV to describe the latest in suggestions from the Public Utility Commission is Professor Ed Hers, who is an energy expert. He joins us on your 956 drive home from the University of Houston. Uh, so what were your thoughts when uh, you saw this proposal come out? Well, expected by the uh, design criteria they put forth. 
proposals here are all short of, of really accomplishing what needs to be done, which is making sure that the capacity available on the grid. Would you uh, happen to be on a cell phone, Dr. Hurst? Uh, uh, yes. Are you, are you able to move How, closer to a window? Yeah, I was just... Let's see if I'll find a different one here. Signal's breaking up. Yeah, apologies for that. Oh. No, that's uh, not a problem. Here, You're on a roll, uh, too. Like <laughs> Is this better? Uh, so far, so good. Okay. Let's go ahead and keep talking. Yeah. Uh, so the, okay. the Public Utility Commission put out a proposal talking about performance credits. And go. Right. So the, the performance credits is some sort of construction of a new style of, of added market. Not not doing anything, really, with the underlying ERCOT market, which got us into this trouble. Keep in mind that for eight of the 10 years prior to 2021, the generators did not make enough money to cover their cost. And therefore, nobody was going to invest in new generation. And in fact, throughout uh, 2021, the most recent report of the, the independent market monitor states that barring the, uh, uh, if you take out the price gouging that occurred during that, that terrible week, um, the generators still didn't make enough money to justify new equipment being added. And so nothing that they have proposed in these um, uh, uh, scenarios is actually going to accomplish what they want to have which is you know, adding some reliable generation to the grid. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of overcomplicating things, but uh, are you able to describe to us how the performance credits, that relationship between power generators and the power companies uh, would work? No, I can't. It is, <laughs> it is goofy. It's uh, untried, untested, and um, this is just a construction that only a consultant would, uh, would propose. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's like no, 200 it, pages of a PDF file that I was thumbing through over the weekend. I couldn't make heads or tails out of it either, other than it's like it's like what you had said. It's adding another market on top of a market. Uh, Davis Rankin, your question for Professor Ed Hers. Yeah, How can the generators, the people who own these big plants that people see, and how can they stay in business if they're not covering their costs? Well, they're not going to, and and in fact, since 2010, um, the Texas economy has grown from 1.25 trillion to 1.99 trillion in uh, uh, 2021, and the thermal fleet, the dispatchable fleet, that includes generators that are coal fired, natural gas fired, and nuclear fired. That fleet has not grown; it's actually shrunk. Um, yeah, there's no question that we have wind and solar on the grid and it's growing and it's going to continue to grow. And at some point in the future, maybe that will provide all of the electricity we need in conjunction with batteries. But we're not there yet. And we need to have reliable natural gas fired units standing by to come in to shore up the stability of the grid when we need it. I have another question. Uh, haven't, haven't, I don't know who's been doing the telling, but haven't, um, I don't know how to phrase it. H haven't hasn't the government, the federal government, told? Maybe it's the uh, electric companies like um, like uh, Jexa that they must take solar and wind power first before they take 
of hydrocarbon generated power? No, that's that's not the case. Um, okay, but the the reason the the wind and solar come into the power stack first is because the marginal cost is zero essentially. Uh, if the wind's blowing, you get you get wind generated electricity. If the sun's shining, you get you get the, the you know yeah. power from the solar panels. Whereas with natural gas or coal, there is a fuel expense plus, of course, labor. Um, so. In the long run, the, the low marginal cost uh, providers are going to dominate, but we're not at the point where we can rely on that 100%. Now, keep in mind that there's not one wind generator or solar generator that's been admitted to the ERCOT grid that wasn't approved by an appointee of the governor on the Public Utility Commission. You know, these folks are all very bright. They understand that you know, that power goes away when the wind stops and the sun goes down. They just have not made a provision for the grid to be reliable. Mm. Joining us on 710K. Go ahead, David. Uh, 710K well, is Dr. Ed Hers. Go ahead. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Here's the question. Well, how can they, how can they propose a plan of any sort which... Um, in which which in, in which some you have people have to make money or they can't stay in business you have to make money or you can't pay your light bill or whatever other bills you have to pay in houston how can they design something when they know because I, I assume they've been told they know that someone's going to lose money on it you know that's a 64 dollar question that's, that's confronting <laughs> the uh, five members of the public utility commission right now they're between well, a got- rock and the hard place uh, I'm the legislature and the governor have told them not to uh, not to pay for generators to stay on the sidelines, just to be ready to come in. And yet, that's going to be the only solution that fixes our market problem right now. Mm-hmm. From from what I was able to kind of decipher from that long PDF that the PUC put out concerning <laughs> these performance credits. Uh, and I had to I had to scroll down and up and down. There's like definitions for everything. There's lots of acronyms that you got to go back and forth with and stuff. But but uh, the the power generators are supposed to purchase these performance credits based off of how much capacity that they have, how much energy they can actually put out, and then sell that to the power companies. And then the power generators are liable, and the power uh, companies are liable on both ends for. Um, being able to come up with the goods essentially as far as these credits go in other words right why aren't they doing that in the first place without all these fancy terms and and things that are that that, that they're proposing for this well uh, you, you know none of this makes any sense and and you've hit the nail on the head why would i if i'm a power company want to buy any of these performance credits why would I want to go in if I know that for 80% of the year, I'm going to be losing money most of the time. And now you're going to make me pay money to, to put my generation at risk um, and potentially, you know, pay penalties if I don't show up, if the, the unit breaks down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, this can be changed on a monthly basis or yearly basis. Um, the coal-fired plants on the the ERCOT grid are 50 years old. The natural gas-fired plants on the ERCOT grid average about 30 years in age. 
a lot of these have reached the end of their operating lives. And, you know, if I'm a power generation company, I'm not going to play this game. I'm just going to go ahead and close it down and leave. Would Hmm. a performance credit system like what's being proposed by the PUC force power generators and power companies to um, produce less power because they want to stay on the conservative side of that performance credit limit? I don't know how they would uh, address this issue. Um, that is one of the problems that the consultant has identified. This this PCM uh, performance credit market has, is untested. Uh, nobody's tried it. It's subject to all sorts of, of uh, uh, vagueness that nobody can, can honestly mm-hmm. do right now. Yeah, that's and true. There's no telling how they would. You know, they, they suggest uh, that the sort of a market um, um, uh, uh, renovation would draw in additional generation units. But given that it takes years to build some of these and it takes several years to pay back the investment, I don't see anybody on Wall Street wanting to commit the capital to a generation company here. In fact, what I do see is generation companies uh, closing their generators down and if the state uh, uh, objects to that, uh, you know, honestly, you can't stop somebody from closing down the power plant. The, the power companies will uh, tell the state, if you want me to stay open, you're going to have to pay me a direct subsidy. Uh, this is what's happened in New York. This is what um, one utility has been demanding in Connecticut. Um, the Speaker of the House uh, in Ohio, was uh, just arrested for taking a sixty million dollar bribe to uh, push wow. through a, a law that gave a, that gave a direct subsidy to the owner of two nuclear power plants in Ohio. Uh, so the utilities, I think, at this point, are going to uh, play the game the way any normal Texas poker player would play and say, "Well, if you want me in this game, you're going to have to pay me to stay in it," and nothing that has been proposed by these uh, alternative scenarios that the PUC released actually accomplishes that. You said 60 million, like M is in Mary million. D- Davey, I appreciate your enthusiasm toward that number, but we, we have to oh. get going. And I want to thank Dr. Ed Hurst from uh, <laughs> university of Houston for, for bringing some of his insightful commentary to us. Thank you. Uh, joining us on news talk, 710 KURV. This is your nine, five, six drive home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We're letting you enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's time to get to know one of our incoming members of the State Board of Education for the great state of Texas, L.J. Francis. 
is his name. District 2 is the place. And he's our guest on your 956 Drive Home. I, uh, Since Davey was the one that, that booked this interview, he put the effort forth. I will give him the uh, first question. Go ahead, Davey. Thank you very much. Uh, let's. Uh, my first question was going to be, why do you think you won? But let's not do that. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We know you're from Jamaica. And then tell us why you think you won and not because you're such a swell guy. We all know you're a swell guy, but why do you think you prevailed by... What is it? It's just a very few votes. It's a very, and you're the first Republican to occupy this uh, this seat. So first of all, thank you, Davey and Zach, for having me on your show. Um, it's a pleasure being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it was a, a a very good victory, and I say victory not for me, but for the state of Texas in this area. Um, one thing that I I was um, proud to do, and um, I try to be consistent, was messaging. I stayed on message. I uh, visited my 14-county district very frequently. I talked to parents. I talked to um, leaders, community leaders. And quite frankly, I really just listened to the issues that they had. And I believe that was why I prevailed on Tuesday, November 8th. Did you say 14 counties? That's correct. 14 counties wow. representing about almost 2 million people. <laughs> These districts That's... are huge. They're they're bigger than congressional districts and, of course, much bigger than uh, Senate districts. That's a lot of door knocking. I'm not going to lie. That's a lot of talking <laughs> to people. I'm surprised you're not hoarse after all of that. Uh, what? what uh, give well, us an idea. Um, of what... I've Go ahead, been bro. on the campaign trail, uh, gentlemen, for uh, 16 months. So I started in about June uh, 2021 and I knew being a newcomer in into politics I had to get my name ID up and, and most importantly I wanted to know what was it that um, the district needed what were their concerns what were the issues and how could I best represent um, this district given um, my my abilities LJ Francis is the incoming uh, new part of the State Board of Education District 2, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. Uh, let's talk about your uh, skill set and what you bring to the table. What, what can you tell us about your, your background? So I am a, a licensed professional engineer in the state of Texas. I was doing my um, PhD in environmental engineering, and I was teaching a class, a physics class. I started to realize that students were not very sharp, as I put it. Um, and this was my first time teaching, so it was quite a shock to me. And I started doing some more investigations. I subsequently uh, was co-principal investigator with a group of, um, with another teacher on a National Science uh, Foundation um, grant here in, based out of Corpus Christi. And the design for that grant was to train teachers on experiential learning. We were we were trying to get teachers to get um, more knowledgeable about the natural system here in, in Corpus Christi and the Coastal Bend area. And we got this grant, about $100,000, um, and we got it a second time, so $200,000 over a two-year period. And some of the things that started to be evident to me was that 
you know, teachers were telling me that they, they can't even, um, they weren't even able to take students out to field trips. It would be such a big burden and a hassle to get students out. And I started to realize that there was lacking a lot of the traditional um, experiential learning, fact-based learning, and the traditional, uh, as I put it, the academic setting that I um, grew up with and knew that was effective seemed to be missing from or or the, the curriculum for our K through 12 students. And that got me into action. I started doing additional research. And just as I, I, I put it, I, I found out that there was a lot of reliance on what I, I, I deemed to be a lot of subjective feelings, emotional um, things in the classroom. And given that we have a very limited time in the classroom, teachers can attest to this. The focus, I believe, should be on getting that curriculum to that student, that system of for success. Joining us on 710KURV, LJ Francis is your representative for District 2 for the State Board of Education, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. So what are we doing right? What are we doing well right now? And what are what are some areas that we could use some work? So I'm very proud to say that when I visited the Rio Grande Valley and certain areas um, where I live in Corpus Christi and the northern portion um, of this district, what we really do well in is getting students um, access to early college. So you have a lot of early college high school, especially in the Rio Grande Valley, and it's by no means a, a surprise where Region 1, which um, the educational service center there in the Rio Grande Valley boasts the highest academic achievement. And it's because we're getting students now aware of what their potential could be. We're at an earlier stage getting students acclimatized to the possibilities that would be available to them after high school. And I think we're doing really good in this aspect. And I, and I commend leaders in the Rio Grande Valley and other areas for this. What I think that we, we need to do a better job is, and the first thing um, that I hear when I've been campaigning, is parents are are not aware of um, their, their responsibilities in terms of how can they best help administrators and teachers. So what I would challenge um administrators to do is let's let's try to focus on setting up um, this 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 culture that would be transparent for parents and persons who 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 are in charge of, of students because what I hear is there's a big lack of transparency within the classroom system and we we've seen where you know, there are so many things that have happened during COVID and for for several reasons, um, parents felt like, you know, their voice weren't being heard. So going forward, I think one of the first things we need to do is to get the culture back, get the, the schoolhouse um, being a place where, you know, it can be trusted. Parents can trust that when they send their students to school, they know what's going on. They, um, they are in agreement with um, the lessons that are being taught. They can extend that lesson when child comes home from school. And that, that's, I think, is the first thing that we need to really do in order to be successful in the future. Because as we know, we, we have to be able to get all our stakeholders on board with um, our K-12 learning in this, in this region. 
Davis Rankin, your question for L.J. Francis with the State Board of Education, District 2. This next legislative session, which begins about mid-January, like previous sessions, there will be an attempt to to get legislation that would allow the use of vouchers. I'm not, you know, the details are still to be developed. Um, it's never passed, uh, including Democrats are always opposed and some Republicans are opposed as well. What's your view of vouchers? Well, you know, on my campaign trail, I, I made it very clear that I am for educational freedom. And what I mean by that is I think that there are different ways in order to get our, 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 our children educated. I, I do think that the responsibility um, is with the parents and the educators together. I also feel that if um, the school system, particular school system is not a great fit for a child they should be able to move that child and be able to get some amount of dollars and the, the as as you mentioned the the details of that are yet to be uh fleshed out but i am going to play it slow i am going to um listen to to counsel as to what is the best scenario for our kids because ultimately my goal is to not prop up any particular system. My goal is to ensure that the students, the children of District 2 are set up for success. Their education comes first. And as leaders and as advocates for this, my responsibility is to ensure that whatever whatever system that best fits that model is, is what I advocate for. I like that answer because it's too many times on the campaign trail is different than we actually get into the seat and there's a lot of data that you're not privy to until you actually get there and you want to know what it is that you're working with before we you know flip the whole thing upside down flip the table as it were and just you know throw the game board on the ground and and uh yeah. <laughs> and start picking the pieces back up so it's it's good to have um that that mindset hey we're just we're gonna take this one step at a time we're gonna start from square one why how did we get here in the first place and and let's figure out where we're going thanks a lot for for your time here today we'll oh, hope David, to have you again that's lj oh. francis oh go ahead hello i think he left okay Thank that's you, uh, lj francis with the state board of education district number two joining us on news talk 710 kurv your 956 drive home you're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 drive home on news talk 710 kurv and kurv.com you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.